Ezra's. We've been looking at the story of Gideon. And um, today, we come to the fourth part of the story, the third chapter of Judges. And we call this message, The End. The End, because it's the end of the story, the end of the retreat, the end of me talking. Um, But I want to review before we go um, forward, just to make sure that we've recapped everything about the story. Because here's the thing. How many of you guys knew who Gideon was beforehand, before he came to the retreat? Okay. Now, how many of you knew the story about the separating of the men with the water thing? Like, you vaguely heard that. Um, you kind of had a sense of, he's like a soldier, general, they lead the troops, they win something. Um, something about like a, an unlikely hero. Right? So we know generally the idea about what Gideon is about. So uh, my question is, what is the end of the story of Gideon? How does the story end? Well, we're going to find out. Because we don't actually usually know and remember how the stories end. Um, So we're going to find that out. And I think today, um, as far as a dramatic story goes, it's not as exciting as the other one. I'm not going to be jumping around like I was like a fool like in the other ones. But um, I think it's just as instructive for us. And I think we can learn just as much as we can from tonight as we did the other times. But let's rewind to Judges 6. Where do we find Gideon where we're introduced to him? Not all night. He's in a wine press. What is he doing? Threshing wheat. Thank you for saying it loudly and confidently. That's what I'm after. Um, Threshing wheat in a wine press, right? Which is like, oh my gosh, nobody does that. God shows up and says, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, no, not me. And he's like, yes, really? And then they do the whole thing with the bread and the the goat and the broth and then the fire. And then the angel goes away. Then he thinks he's going to die. God comes back. And he says, no, 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 really, this is going to happen. And Gideon blows the trumpet, 32,000, 64,000 eyes blinking at him. And then he freaks out and he says, oh, who said it before? Oh, crap. Right? This is really happening. Does the fleece, that's not good enough. Does the fleece dry and the ground wet? And then he says, okay, we're going to do this. God says, well, not so fast. We're going to, we get too many people. And notice, if you notice in, we good? Uh, if you notice, um, one of the things was that God said the reason why he reduced the troops was because if you won the victory with 32,000, then you might think, did I kick something? You know, we're just going to pray. I mean, you keep working, but we're going to pray, the rest of us. God, we just pray right now, we give you tonight. And we pray that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak to our church, speak to our lives. And God, we pray that that nothing would get in the way of you meeting your people here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Should we just stare at them? Gideon, what's going on? Um... 
Okay, so you notice that God said, you know what, if you won with 32,000 against 135,000, four to one, um, you know, maybe the history books say, yeah, you know, Gideon did such a great job. It was amazing. And, and like, we had a lot of valiant troops. And so he reduces the number. And then he reduces it even further because he says, then, I, then it will be undeniable that this was God. And so he gets reduced, you know, the whole lapping of the dog. We just saw that illustrated so wonderfully um, here for all of us, reducing to 300. And um, then God's like, get up. We're going to do this. Let's go. But if you're afraid, go down, take your servant, and listen to the, um, listen at the tent. And I was thinking, actually, while I was watching the skit, I was thinking about this. What about this story from the, the side of Pura, the servant? Right? I mean, think about this, right? Someone who's just traveling with Gideon. Maybe Pura was one of the original servants who kind of, you know, turned Gideon in after he tore down the Asherah pole. I forgot to mention the Asherah pole thing. But, right, maybe, maybe Pura is one of those. And then, you know, what do you think? Do you think Gideon's a little chatty because he's nervous? As he's going down, and he's like, I don't want to take him on, and, and this and that, and like, poor is just kind of like, this is our general, and this is the guy that I'm a servant for, and I can't believe this, right? Like, is this really going to happen? And we're walking into the Midianite camp, and we're putting up our ear with like a, a glass up against the tent to listen to this guy talk about a dream. Like, you, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting story from that point of view. Here's the story about a barley loaf so beautifully illustrated for us yet again. And the other guy's like, oh, well, certainly that's, that is, um, can we kill the outer lights? Yeah. Um, certainly that's a sign that Gideon's going to kill us and overthrow us. And, and then they blow the trumpets and this and that and the lanterns and the torches. And then the Midianites start killing each other. And then the Gideon goes and he says, go, Go and get the other people so that they can go at, get them at Beth Barah and cut them off. And then they find Oreb and Zeb, cut off their heads, and that's where we leave, right? Gideon has experienced a grand victory. So that's the story leading us up right to where we are in Judges 8. That's the first two chapters of the story of Gideon. But what have we learned? What did we learn the first night? Big God uses small people to do great things. Big God uses small people to do great things. And really, this is the thesis statement for the whole, the whole sermon series. A big God uses small people to do great things. And that's, if there's one thing that you take away from this retreat, it is that a big God wants to use you, a small person, to do great things. What was this thing that we learned on Friday night? Friday night. What was the principle there? How you follow reflects who you follow. Absolutely. And so we remember that if we know that God is the one on the other end, that we will follow faithfully. And what did we learn this morning? From the 300. Remember we saw the picture of a valiant warrior without a sword.
get it. I brought it all the way here. I got to get it. That was good. That was good enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what did we learn? Yes, if you can trust them for a little, you can trust them for a lot. If God can win the victory with 32,000, then what's the difference between him winning it with 300? You can win and trust God for a little, you can trust God for a lot, which means God is greater than our enemies, greater than our circumstances, and greater than ourselves. Good? You guys are like, hurry up. All right, Judges 8. Now the Ephraimites... Ask Gideon. Now, the Ephraimites were the ones who, at the end of chapter 7, Gideon said, Now that we have defeated the Midianites in the camp and they are fleeing, go get the Ephraimites to cut them off and go get Oreb and Zeb. And then they go get Oreb and Zeb. And this is a victory. And then now, Ephraimites asked Gideon, Why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they criticized him sharply. But he answered them, what, what have I accomplished? I mean, compared to you, aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Abizar? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midian leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you? At this, their resentment against him subsided. See, the Ephraimites were upset that they weren't called by Gideon in the first place. They weren't one of the people that Gideon went to go, and when they blew the trumpet, that they were there to, to be called. They criticized him sharply. Isn't that just like life? You go and you do this great, wonderful thing for God, and then there's someone that's going, well, what took you so long? Or there's someone that's saying, well, you could have done it better, or I've seen it better. I'm going to go home from this retreat after preaching my heart out for these three days, and I'm probably going to get in a fight with my wife. Right? I mean, that's just how life goes, isn't it? Right? You do these great and wonderful things for God, and then somebody just comes along, and it's just like... Right? I mean, that's how it goes. Gideon, interestingly enough, through this victory, has actually learned a little bit of... Um, cunning, and he actually says, well, no, 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 I haven't done anything. I mean, you guys, oh, the gleaning's off your table. Oh, it's better than our full harvest. Oh, stop it, stop it. You guys are the ones who got Oreb and Zeb. What have I done? Except stop suffering for eight years, and, you know, we didn't use a sword, and, no, no, you guys are great. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 that's right, that's a good point. Um, and so Gideon faces criticism. Now, if that were me, I would be like, do you know what I just did for you? Like, you just came in at the end and mopped up. Like, you guys are the second string bench warmers who come in after the first string, uh, you know, basically gets up by 40 points against the opposite team. And then you guys come in, you guys do mop up. You just don't lose the lead, right? And that's what the Ephraimites did. That's what I would have said. Like, you did mop up work. Like, you shouldn't even be talking to me right now. Like, don't even talk to me. Blow the horn in their face. Like, I can't hear you. You know, like, what? 
I can't hear you. My, I'm, I'm, I'm sounding the, the horn of victory. I can't hear you because I just won. That's what I would have done. But Gideon doesn't, so good. 